He always seems to get involved, doesn't he? I'm telling you, too many coconuts have hit him right on top of the skull. Well, I think uh, Anthony will be a great acquisition. He can do it all. Avery, whose show is this? Welcome, everybody, to the Anthony Irwin Show. I'm Anthony Irwin. Today, joined by somebody who I just continually marvel at his ability to just store information. I have talked to you now, Ricky, a few times about the NBA draft, and every time we do it, not only are you focused on the draft that's like a couple days away, but right after that, you already throw together your your big board right after that. So it's just like the the amount of of stuff that is swirling around right now in my head is something that you have double love because you're ready for next year's draft on top of that ricky o'donnell of sb nation how do you do it well first of all anthony i'm not storing all the anthony davis hot takes in my head that you are so that frees up some space to look through next year's draft but it's funny you mentioned that because while we're recording this, I am writing my 2023 <laughs> NBA mock draft. I do it every year after the next after the current draft. Yeah. And it's so funny looking back on those preseason boards because you know it is a really early estimation and projection of like what's gonna happen a year oh, from for now. Sure. And I've had some good hits. Like I had Luka Doncic number one from the initial board, you know, through the end of the board. Uh I had you know, I think Anthony Edwards, number one on my initial board in 2020. But then I've had some real bad ones over the <laughs> years. I had Emmanuel Moutier, number one on my preseason Oof. board. I had Cam Reddish over yeah. Zion on my preseason board. So <laughs> it's just funny just to, like, keep you honest and to have, like, that paper trail of your opinions uh, over the course of a draft cycle is, is a pretty cool thing to see. And I'm lucky because unlike NBA GMs, no one really cares if I'm wrong. I can be wrong, and I'm not going to get fired for it. So, uh, look, it's a luxury if, that not many have. If anybody understands being wrong a bunch and not getting fired, it's me. I think that's why you and I are just we 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 come together. We see eye to eye on this. It's just it's great. We we can continue to 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 do this and and suffer no ramifications. So, um, I have a few general questions, and then we'll dive into some Lakers specific stuff. And it's hard to do Lakers specific stuff as we get ready for a draft that the Lakers don't have a pick. Um, they are trying to buy one. Rob Palenka has just come out and say that this is something that they're, they're going to try to do. But in in terms of this draft heading in, generally speaking, I feel like it's been a little while since there was this uh, this much. Uh, like the, the, there's so much question as far as who could go first, who might fall and, and all of this. I, every mock that I look at has somebody different at the top of it. Um, the swings in Vegas as far as who might go first have been pretty wild. I think this morning we woke up and Paolo Banquero was at like plus 900. And then as you and I are talking, he is, he is, uh, it's, I think that's it plus 210 that he would go number one overall. It's been insane. So like I'm looking at that kind of from the outside looking in, but is that is that a fair characters, characterization of just the question at the top of the, at the of the draft and then what that means for the rest of the thing moving forward? Yeah, so I'm not going to sit here and try to like project what teams are actually thinking because I don't have too much inside info to this point. And really 
as we're recording this podcast right now, there's been a pretty jarring lack of intel for yeah. the top picks to this point in the process. Now, I assume that's all going to unravel over the next 24 to 48 hours. But what makes this draft fun, in my opinion, is there's four prospects at the top of the draft who have a legitimate case to go number one. Mm -hmm. And doing draft coverage for so long as I have, what I've... That's pretty unique, right? What's up? That's pretty unique, right? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, what I was going to say is, like, doing coverage for this long, what I've realized is people only really remember who you have number one. (laughs) And so this draft is fun because, like, to have opinions on this draft class is to, like, plant your flag on yeah. someone and say, okay, this is my top guy. And, you know, I can name plenty of people around uh, the media who cover the draft who have each picked different guys. Some people like Jabari Smith. It seems like he's likely to be the number one pick mm-hmm. to go to the Magic. A lot of people like Chet Holmgren. I have had Paolo Bancaro number one throughout the entire draft cycle, dating back to a year ago. And there's a strong case for Jaden Ivey is the top player in the draft too. So it's cool to have four players who are coming uh, with all, you know, legitimate cases to be number one. And then it's cool that they're all from the college level because mm-hmm. we all get to watch these guys yeah. on ESPN on CBS every week and see them, you know, fit into the traditions and the atmosphere of college basketball. And as I do this 2023 mock draft right now, none of the top three or four prospects are playing college basketball next year. So I'm immediately getting a little nostalgic for just like the ease (laughs) of being able to scout these guys in college. Yeah. Uh, So it was a really fun draft class to cover. I like Bancaro as the top prospect, but uh, this draft is very much in the eye of the beholder. And I think that that's going to make for both a fun draft night on Thursday. And, you know, it has made for a fun process to get to this point. One thing that I have kind of come to the realization of is I I think the teams that stock up on wings raise their floor um, about as much as you possibly can, especially with, with the draft. It's not, it's not quite the NBA draft. Isn't the NFL draft where it just feels like you're firing darts at, at a, at a spinning dartboard. You know, it's, it's uh, the lethal shooter of uh, draft knowledge feels like with, with the NFL stuff. But with the NBA, if you, you know, you can know a little bit more about it going in. But there is still some randomness. I still believe to this day that, uh, gosh, I can't believe I'm forgetting. I think it was Anthony Edwards. No, no, who was the guy, the Stanford guy that went to the Lakers? He was a three and D guy out of, out of Stanford. Who I thought, okay, this is the 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 safe pick. This, there's no way this guy isn't going to fail. And um, and for some reason, it just didn't work out. So that does still happen. But I feel like. You know, we just saw it with Boston, a, a ton of wings and a ton of guys in that like six four to six eight ish, six nine range, um, and it allows you to, to to switch a bunch. And then um, the the Raptors is kind of, they're like the nth degree example of this, where everybody on their team is in that range. And so I'm kind of curious, like, I, I, are we starting to see a motion towards that type of player being prioritized in the same way that? like bigs were back in the 80s and in and, and the early 90s. Um, are we starting to see a, a shift there? Or is it still is it still very much team by team? Well, I'm going to fight back on that narrative a little. All right. Everyone's cool. saying, oh, look at the Celtics, all these wings. Mm-hmm. The Celtics played eight guys, and they only played two wings out of that eight-man group. I mean, mm-hmm. it depends how you characterize Grant Williams. To me, he's a frontcourt guy. Yeah. It depends how you characterize Marcus Smart. To me, he's a guard. 
But to me, they played three guards, three bigs, two wings in their eight-man rotation. Mm-hmm. You know, perhaps we can argue about what is a wing in the. I I, I will say that I have a very loose definition of wing. Like sure. it, it's so basically, I look for players who can switch defensively, and uh, you know, don't need a ton of time on the ball, unless you're like a LeBron, and then you want that guy on the ball all the time. But but, but yeah. I, like Marcus Smart, Alex Caruso, they I've almost characterized those guys as like three and D point guards. You know, they they, they aren't they aren't gonna they aren't gonna utilize the pick and roll. They aren't gonna dominate the ball, but uh, they are pretty easy to slot into roles offensively and defensively. Grant Williams is is kind of that example for a big where he can guard up and down the 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 court, um, no matter who is kind of standing in front of. Him. It was wild to watch him defend Giannis in one series and then I would see him isolated on Steph in the next series. It was insane. Uh, so yeah, those, those are, I have a very loose definition of it, but, but yeah, to your point, the, the Celtics, they, they were certainly more slotted than say like Toronto. Yeah. Uh, so then like, if we're going to argue about the definition of a wing, can I argue that Paolo Bancaro, Chet Holmgren and Jabari Smith are all wings? Yeah. Chet is maybe the the one that might not be because yeah. his elite skill is rim protection. And I think ideally Chet's future is probably at the five. Mm-hmm. I don't think he has the physicality to play the five right now. He is about seven foot two and 190 pounds. So <laughs> it's going to take a minute for him to get yeah. strong enough if he's ever able to get strong enough. But I think all of those players are at their best is like, you know, facing up against the defense and attacking that way. So, uh, I like your point, though, about, you know, just sort of targeting players who have a wide variety of skills. And, mm-hmm. you know, in the draft, the way I like to think about NBA team building, whether it's in the draft or free agency or whatever, is just like the best way to build a team is to get the most skills possible on mm-hmm. a team and make sure that those skills mesh together and are complementary. And I guess an example of this, you know, I'm in Chicago is like a DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine pairing fits a lot better than, let's say, a Jimmy Butler, DeMar DeRozan pairing because yeah. they just wouldn't have enough spacing and shooting and their games are a little bit similar. Yeah, a lot but of overlap. you have a guy who can play, you know, off the ball as a dynamic movement shooter like Levine, he's just a little bit more malleable of a piece mm-hmm. in terms of, like, who you're going to build her. But at the end of the day, the most important skill in basketball, I think, is shot creation. And that's the mm-hmm. guy who plays on the ball. And if you don't have a shot creator, your biggest need as a team is shot creation. And that's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. And that's why I have Ben Caro as the number one prospect in this draft, because I view him having the ability to create shots way better than anyone else at the top of the draft, uh, certainly more so than Jabari Smith, who would offer knockdown shooting in place of shot creation. And I just feel like shooting can be delegated to role players most yep. of the time. Like the guy who bends the defense is your star. And that's the guy with the ball in his hands. And, uh, you know, I guess Steph Curry is the exception that proves the rule, but the majority of the time, like your star is the guy who who's, you know, driving to the basket, getting two feet in the paint, collapsing the opposing defense. So when I evaluate these prospects, I have a strong value toward shot creation. And that's why Paolo is my number one guy. Uh, is, is it a deep draft? Like, is it, is it the kind of draft that you could see? Like, I always kind of laugh because certain teams will float out there. We're looking for win now talent. We're looking for win now talent out of the draft, which seems kind of 
contrary to the notion of drafting a super young player. Uh, but but the, the is there are there players who you could either see slipping out of the first round into the second or slipping from the top of the second uh, round down to potentially being undrafted who could still step in and help teams? What I'm asking is, yeah. like, is there another Austin Reeves? Because that's what Lakers fans are looking for in this draft. I think every draft's a deep draft. And when you have, mm-hmm. you know, several hundred players, I think, eligible to be drafted, like, there's going to be a lot of diamonds in the rough. It's that way yeah. every year. Look at Jose Alvarado last year, given the Pelicans really meaningful minutes as an undrafted free agent. Obviously, the Pelicans also got Herb Jones in the second round. I believe he was picked like 35, 36. Mm-hmm. He was excellent for them. Should have been first team all rookie if he wasn't. So uh, I think every draft's deep. This draft, I would say, is top heavy, though, just because of those four guys at the top. The cliff from four to five is a steep one in this draft. Yeah. You do not want the fifth pick. And, you know, feel bad for Detroit Pistons fans, but they got their guy last year in Cade Cunningham. That makes team building a little bit easier when you got your main piece like him. Uh, I don't love this draft. I'm like five through 14. So that Mm. like second half of the lottery is not my favorite spot in this draft. I do have a number five prospect I like quite a bit. For me, that's Jalen Duran, center from Memphis. I'm Mm. much higher on him than most people are. I think he's the fifth best player in the class. And I think he has all-star talent, to be sure, even though it might take him a minute because he's the youngest American in the class. Uh, But, you know, beyond Duran, I think it's a lot of question marks in terms of the high upside guys in the late lotto. And then the college players who seem to be a little bit safer, like, are they safer? (laughs) I'm always curious about that. Anthony Brown was a player I was thinking of earlier. He was supposed to be safe. He was supposed to be like, yeah, he's a 3 and D wing. Went to Stanford. You can shoot. But you never know with that safety. The Clippers and, for a know, while there just kept driving safe guys, and then they just never developed. Sure. So the majority of the time, there's no such thing as a safe prospect, unless there's just like a certain baseline of size, skill, mm-hmm. athleticism. I think that, that those are the traits that give you a baseline of being a good NBA player and then a baseline of safety, I guess, moving forward and throw IQ in there as well, or just general feel for the game is probably a better term than IQ. Uh, So I think this is a top heavy draft where I like this draft is sort of in like the 20 to 35 range. I think Mm -hmm. that there's going to be some potential players in there that I like just as much as some of the top college prospects uh, who aren't one and done. So yeah, it's going to be a fun draft, and I'm sure we're going to look back a couple of years from now and say, well, you know, how did this guy go in the second round? How did this guy go in the late 20s? He ends up being one of the best players in the class. Yeah, it was always funny because th- that was always the guy that the Spurs drafted, right? We the, the Spurs would select somebody, and everybody on Twitter would say, I can't believe the Spurs got this person. Or for me, it was when the Warriors were able to get Kavon Looney. <laughs> I'm... I remember thinking when this guy showed up to UCLA, he was lottery talent and somehow the Warriors have this guy who's going to be a solid NBA player for a long time. And they were just able to, to, to mine that amount of talent. And so much of it is just, it just kind of also boils down to situation and, 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 and how well the Warriors or the Spurs or, or whichever team is able to, to, uh, I, I guess, nurture that, that player's talent. Um, in the in the in the range that the Lakers would probably be looking to to buy a draft pick, in that like forty ish range, uh, 
um, and 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 uh, maybe a little earlier, but probably like forty-two to forty-four, I think, are the two spots that that have come up for the Lakers. Okay. Is is uh is there any kind of talent that like I've noticed a, a trend recently where players are basically if they're going to get in draft drafted in that area, they're actually asking some teams to not draft them so that they have a little bit more flexibility at the beginning of the off season. Is that a trend that's going to continue? And, and is there, are there players at that range that the Lakers should have their eye on? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's something that's been happening for several years. Terrence Davis was a famous example of that coming out of Ole Miss, mm-hmm. who was going to be drafted, told teams not to draft him. He wanted to pick a spot. Fred Van Vliet, maybe a similar story. I'm, I'm having trouble remembering now if yep, teams wanted to draft similar. him. But. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that happens every year, and it makes sense from a player's perspective because you get some more agency. Uh, I think teams in the second round oftentimes want players to take a two-way deal. Players mm-hmm. would rather have the opportunity to earn a guaranteed contract, even if it's at a minimum rookie salary. So that makes sense. And, yeah, I think that uh, you know that early 40s portion of the draft is very interesting this year and every year, quite frankly. And yeah. you know, it depends on what you think the Lakers need. Do the Lakers need a guard? I would say Andrew Nemhard from uh, Gonzaga could be someone who would be a solid veteran guard uh, available in the early second round. If they need a wing, maybe someone like Wendell Moore, three-year player at Duke, one of the youngest kids in his class. Uh, I think that he's got great length with a seven-foot wingspan, a solid like all-around mix of skills. Caleb Houston out of Michigan is a guy who I had projected as a top-five pick coming into the season. Had a pretty rough freshman year with the Wolverines, dropped way down. But I know that Rob Polinka is a Michigan man. I yep. saw him combine. He was uh, chopping it up with some Michigan people there. So that makes me wonder, you know, it's Caleb Houston, someone that the Lakers could be interested in as a potential 3 and D wing. And then there's always a lot of good bigs around that range. Christian Coloco out of Arizona is more of a classic, like, rim protector, lob threat, catcher type of center. Uh, He could be available around there. Jalen Williams, a center out of Arkansas, is famous for leading the country in taking charges last year. (laughs) He took, like, 60 charges. Like, how is this legal? Somebody stop this guy. Yeah. But he's fun to watch. He's the only person I respect for taking a charge on a basketball floor. So, uh, you know, regardless of what position you think the Lakers should target with a pick around, let's say, 40, 45, I think there's going to be some good options. Yeah, I, I've I've reached the point, having watched roughly 18 combo guards on the Lakers roster last year, that I just, all I want them to do is acquire wings this year. That's it. <laughs> I, I promise, especially if they're looking to... to swap Russ for Kyrie you're good on guards just go out and get a bunch of wings so are there are there any wings that you expect to fall uh, a little bit further than than or into that range that for a variety of reasons might might kind of fall into a, a place where they could be productive for the Lakers next year I know one person um, Mike Garcia keeps talking about is uh, Keon Ellis of Alabama um, what, what do you what are your thoughts on him Ellis is definitely a solid three and D wing bet to me. He's very thin though. And Mm -hmm. I think he's about, he's like sub 200 pounds maybe. So like, what is his real utility as a defensive player? To me, it's probably defending guards more so than like bigger forwards, Mm -hmm. but he can shoot and he's, you know, got decent size. I think he's six, five, six, six, you know, one of the better open catch and shoot threats in this class that's going to be available in that range. 
I worry a little bit just about the types of assignments he can check in the NBA because he's thin, but that's a good one. I do have him on the top 60 big board I released today. I have him at number 55. Yep. Uh, I, right I basically now. broke it into tiers. And, you know, the second round tiers are much bigger than like the top of the draft. So, you know, Keon Ellis, he could go anywhere from, you know, 35 to 60. And it would seem like a reasonable pick to me. Um, the, I, I, I have to ask about this guy cause, uh, I'm a UCLA dude and well, I didn't go there, but phantom and stuff. But so, uh, Johnny Juzang of UCLA is, is an interesting one to me. Having seen the success of, of slow-mo, uh, I kind of feel like there might be a role for Juzang that there might not have been a few years prior. Sure. So he's interesting because obviously such a dynamic college score carried UCLA to the final four a couple years ago, came within a Jalen Suggs half-court shot yeah. going to the national title game. And he was really the driving force behind that team with his tough shot-making ability. And I think that that is the signature skill for Johnny Juzang. Uh, in late shot clock situations at the end of the quarter, that's a guy who you can give the ball to and he can get you a bucket in the pinch. Now, like you said, he's not a super dynamic athlete, and that's the reason why he's not projected to be a first-round pick this year. I do think he's a decent option in the second round, but when I'm evaluating perimeter scores, what I want to see is, like, let me see what you can do easily. Like, yeah. if you're going to be an NBA-level player, you should be able to get easy buckets in the past yeah. 12, not, like, really difficult buckets. So. You know, you got to give him credit for being able to hit those tough shots, and that's certainly a valuable NBA skill in and of itself. There's no doubt about that. But, yeah, I like to see, you know, if you're a guard, if you're a wing, like, show me the easy stuff. Show me what you can get to every <laughs> yeah. single time. Yeah, because it was – it was the margin for error just gets slimmer. It was wild watching him how often – like, he, the, the, the cliche is so-and-so makes the sport look easy – He's the rare guy who makes the sport look really difficult. Like you watch him and you just say, this should be easier. And, and, and given the, given the numbers that you're putting up, this should look easier for you, but it, but it often didn't. Yeah. He's someone who like, you know, give it to him on the wing, multiple jab steps, pull-ups. That's his game more so than like, I'm going to get to the rim and someone's going to follow me or I'm going to get to the rim and lay it in. Uh, and he doesn't have great range on his jump shot. I didn't have Juzang in my top 60. So I'm, I don't know his numbers off the top of my head, but mm -hmm. you know, not exactly a knockdown shooter either. There's going to be questions on the defensive end. But, you know, if you're looking for a UDFA or a guy in the late second, I mean, this dude was a proven killer at the college yeah. level, playing for a big program, played in big games, big moments, consistently shined through. In a sense, like that's the sort of guy you want to bet on, too. So, yeah, did you know, a lot of winning. Overthinking it with Johnny Juzang, thinking, oh, he's a below, below average athlete. Uh, when, you know, he's got the tape and he's got the production to show that he's a damn good player. The other player uh, that the Lakers, I, I believe, also worked out here is Jabari Walker, um, the forward from Walker. Colorado. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's going to slip far enough for the Lakers to really have a chance at him. You have him at 34 in your top 60. I, he's kind of my pipe dream player. So the son of Samaki Walker. Yep. And in my head, he needs to show up at the draft in Samaki Walker's white suit and top hat that he yes. wore when he was drafted in the late 90s. <laughs> I mean, huge missed opportunity if Jabari doesn't do that. But I agree. I like Jabari a lot coming into the season. He had a rough year in part because I think the team context around him on Colorado was just really poor. They didn't have a lot of floor spacers. They didn't have a natural point guard. 
to me, Jabari could be one of those guys who could transition from sort of like a college four, kind of like a star in college who's not like really at his best as a shot creator Two, if you can get him playing off a skilled shot creator, like, I don't know, LeBron James. <laughs> that guy helps. He could slide into a more natural role as like a three and D wing or big forward. And mm-hmm. uh, I would take a chance on him. I don't, I don't know where I put him on my last board, but whatever it is, it's probably too low. I got him. Oh, I got him 34. So to me, that seems like a fair spot for Jabari Walker. I think he's a late first, early second rounder. Uh I do think that he's going to be able to shoot from NBA range, specifically on catch and shoot shots, if not pull up shots. I just like his frame to be able to defend bigger wings in the NBA. And I do think he gives you some of that switchability. Now he's not someone who's going to like burn you off the bounce or get, uh, you know, a lot of easy self-created buckets, but as a role player, I think he's got a lot of the attributes you look for. And that's one thing I've been, I've been looking at more and more as I covered the draft. It's just like these college stars who can make the transition to NBA role player, that's not an easy transition to make. And we've seen many college stars from the past fail to even come close to being able to make it. But, you know, when you have that wiring, first of all, it's just having that dog in you. Second yeah. of all, it's just yeah. like having like the size. Obviously, you need the shooting. Without the shooting, everything else crumbles as a role player. And I think the Walker's a good bet to sort of make that transition eventually. Uh I always find uh, there's usually like one player every draft that I get really kind of curious about for a variety of reasons. This year's is because I've seen him everywhere, all over boards. There, the, the range on this guy seems to be pretty insane. But um, Marjan Bochamp, Bo- Bochamp, am I saying that correct? Love him. Yeah. Um, he, you have him at 18 on your on your top 60 right now. Um, I've seen him. There are some people hoping, like I, there are some people hoping that he slips to the second round, and the Lakers might have a chance at him. There are some people saying that he could jump up to the lottery. What's what's going on there? Um, he did play with the G League Ignite, which makes some of this stuff kind of tricky. Uh, what's going on there with with Marjon? Yeah, he took a winding road to the draft. He was like a top forty or top fifty recruit coming out of high school, I believe, in Seattle. And then didn't play college. He was just going to take the year off, train for the draft. This is before any of the NIL stuff mm-hmm. came into fruition. Then the pandemic hit. And he went to play in community college in the Pacific Northwest, I believe. And then got an invite to the G League Ignite. He was the guy in the G League Ignite. I was like, okay, I have no idea what to expect from this guy. Like, I remember right. when he was a top 50 recruit. But he's like 21. And, you know, he's going to be, you know, entering the league a little bit older as a rookie. How's his level of shooting going to be? And I got to say, he jumped off the tape from watching the G G League Ignite. Like, you were basically watching them to see Jaden Hardy, who was a top five high school recruit. He's someone who's going to go in the first round of this draft. His stock fell a bit. And as you're watching the G League Ignite, I was like, actually, the best players on this team are Bo Camp and uh, Dyson Daniels, who should be a top 10 pick in this draft. And Bo Camp, I guess the sell on him is, Big, strong, athletic wing, six foot six, seven two wingspan or seven one wingspan. Very strong frame, and great athleticism. He's at his mm-hmm. best, sort of leveraging his athleticism to create creases in the defense. Uh, whether that is attacking in transition or just like you know having an advantage, creative form, and being able to hit the gas and get inside the arc. Uh, I think he was like fifty eight percent on two point field goals this year, That's so wild. pretty good touch inside the arc. He's not yet a threat to space the floor from three-point range. 
I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but you know, he just wasn't a good shooter for the G League. But to me, he seems like a guy who could potentially develop that. I was watching an interview with him a couple of days ago, and they asked him to compare himself to someone, and he said Herb Jones is his comparison, which I love that. If I'm a yeah. team, like give me someone who wants to be Herb Jones. Do the dirty work. Absolutely. You know, not ask to hold the ball all the time and just sort of do the little things that help teams win. And, uh, Bo Camp is a guy who I think plays with a nonstop motor. And you know what's, you know, playing with a nonstop motor is great, especially when you're an elite athlete. And yeah, he's Wiggins. He's close. He's Wiggins this year was, was, you just couldn't turn off Wiggins. And if he could do that for whatever and he wants to be Herb Jones, then it's pretty, that, that seems pretty rare that somebody would. Uh, you know, be a, a fairly high recruit coming out of high school. And then on top of that, you know, go not go to college and focus on his game. You would think normally that type of player would want to be kind of the center of your team's identity, but for him to just kind of identify a role player that he wants to follow in that path, that that's, that's fascinating. That's a really unique kind of insight into the way that the guy approaches the game. Now I, I was already kind of curious about him. Now I desperately want the Lakers to draft Bocamp. <laughs> yeah, I have number 18. I think that's a little bit higher than most places, but you know we'll see where he ends up going on draft. Man. He might end, even end up going higher than that. Uh, and I think like, you know, these guys are who aren't just natural scorers. I think like, even if you're a stud in high school, you can look around the landscape and be like, okay, like uh, Bocamp played with this kid, Scoot Henderson who was a 17-year-old on the G League Ignite. He's going to probably be the second or third pick in the 2023 draft, played half the season at 17. And that kid is just a stud. I mean, he's got like that D. Rose, Russell Westbrook, John Wall level athleticism. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you're a guy like Bocamp, I think you see that. And you're like, well, I'm not going <laughs> to be the guy scoring the ball, so I better figure yeah. out a way to make myself impactful without being the primary scoring option. And there's only one ball to go around, so – uh, you know, everyone else needs to be able to contribute to the team while not holding the ball. And Bocamp is a guy who I think can do that just by like forcing turnovers, being switchable. Like he's going to be good on like hard hedges and stuff. And you got a guy with that length and that strength storming at you to like steal the ball, rip it away from you. I think that that is pretty valuable at the NBA level. And like I said, he's just going to get you a lot of easy buckets in transition because he's got good touch and he's very fast for his size. So. I like Bo Camp. Can't wait to see where he lands in the draft. It's been it's been one of the cooler, I think, evolutions in the sport has been players realizing, hey, I can make a lot of money going the Danny Green route, where where Danny Green entered the NBA as a certain type of player, realized, hey, if I just focus on these two really valuable skills with the Spurs, I can hang around the NBA and make ten-ish million dollars for. 13, 14 years, that's, that's a pretty fruitful career and, and more players seeing that path forward is, is, is only good for the sport. Um, all right. Last thing before I get you out of here, uh, not really draft related, more immediate team related. You're, you're a, a bulls guy. Obviously this is a Lakers podcast, a THT for Caruso. Who says no? The balls. <laughs> I don't think so. Lakers <laughs> had their chance to make that decision, and they went the other way. So yeah, I know, I know. We'll How nice was it having Caruso on your team, though? You and uh, Jay had me on your guys' show heading into the season, yeah. and I told you you're going to fall in love with this dude. Um, w w did you? You were right. Yeah, I mean, Caruso's yeah. just the best. Uh, plays like a superhero on defense. It's yeah. Like, how is he even capable of doing some of this stuff? Just 
shutting off entire sections of the floor with his movement, his activity. Uh, someone who very much gets the absolute most out of every ounce of physical talent he has in his body. I got to say, though, I'm a little worried that Caruso, after, you know, grinding his way up to the Lakers, like, so what was he playing on the Lakers? Like 15 minutes a game? Yeah, I was begging for him to play to top the 20-minute mark. Uh, so, I was begging for it. He never so did. Now, on the Bulls, he's playing like 30 minutes a game. Yeah. He just goes so hard that yeah. I don't know if he's going to be able to stay healthy. Playing with that level of intensity, that level of motor in a bigger role. like That was always that a question. Sort of havoc defender coming at you for 15 minutes or doing that for 15 minutes is one thing. But to do it in a full-time role, 30 minutes, 35 minutes in the playoffs probably for Caruso, uh, you just hope he can stay healthy and be durable. Because when he went down, the Bulls went down, yeah. down the standings. And it's something that I worry about with the team long-term. It's just like, can Caruso play with this level of motor and also play 30 minutes a game. Yeah. You can, you kind of need to convince him to take a few load management nights off a month. He's just kind of Alex, just go sit over there once a week or so. Just, just stay healthy. Uh, Cause yeah, you're right. Once I thought once him and Lonzo both got hurt, the defense that was at one point pretty good, just fell off a cliff. Um, just watching from the outside, looking in and, um, you know, it was tough. To, it was it, it really sucked the way that he got hurt too. It was just a dirty play, and it like because Lakers fans that were trying to defend the Lakers not bringing him back uh, for luxury tax reasons, they were saying, "Oh, see, he's hurt again. You see, he can't stay healthy." And it's like, yeah, if if you got knocked out of the air by somebody grabbing you around the shoulders and you had to brace your fall, nobody stays healthy in that type of a situation. So. I'm glad that he found a home though, and and, and Bulls fans uh, really seeming to enjoy watching him play is 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 really cool in my book. Um, well, this was a blast. I I can't wait for this draft. It's going to be an ins- it's already been an insane week with uh, Kyrie Irving trade rumors, and uh, now the Hornets are just being as cheap as they can possibly be with Miles Bridges, and that means all kinds of stuff on that front. So I can't wait to keep in front of it uh, here from my perspective and, and watch you cover this. Is there is there any chance whatsoever, uh, and I'm blanking on his name, uh, the, the the top prospect in the 2023 draft? Victor Wembenyama. Thank you. Uh, is there any chance whatsoever he doesn't go number one next year? He's incredible. Yeah, well, he's already had a lot of injury issues. I think this year he had three separate injuries. He's mm. currently, he ended his year with a back injury, which is pretty scary for a 7-4 guy or whatever. Yeah. He also broke his finger. He had a busted shoulder. So I don't think it's like chronic injury issues yet, though. The latest one is that's the one that like the back makes you nervous a little bit. Back and feet. Yeah, there's not even a lot of information on it. Like you can only find basically translations to talk about his injury from like the French media. Uh, But he should be the number one pick. I think that, you know, he has a absolute case is the best prospect to hit the draft since LeBron. Mm. obviously I feel like we say that every few years we're like oh Zion's the best prospect Luke is the best prospect Anthony Davis is the best prospect uh when in reality it was Giannis but yep. you just didn't know it at the time of the draft right <laughs> but I course. think that uh when Benyama has a case is that guy coming into the year he's got everything you want uh I have a 2000 word feature on him coming out on Wednesday at SBNation.com, already looking ahead at the 2023 draft. And then I'll have a 2023 mock draft out Friday morning at SBNation.com. So this cycle is over. It was a really fun draft to cover in 2022. And 2023 is going to be fun as well. So 
never stops, man. You know that game. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, that's uh, that's Ricky O'Donnell of SB Nation. Uh, thank you very much. Is there anything you want to plug, or do you want to you 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 need a nap, man? You you need to. <laughs> it's yeah. just I just keep marveling at how much information you have stored up there, and and I just feel like you you need some sleep. <laughs> I do. This week is going to be a tough week for me. I'm already like not sleeping because of work anxiety, which is like the dumbest thing in the world. Mm. Like who cares? Right. But it just happens where I think too much about what I have to get done the next day and don't sleep very well. I will plug my top 60 big board on SBNation.com today. You can go check that out. Paula one, Chet two, uh, Jade and Ivy three, Jabari Smith four. So that's out there. Rank 60 players. And then, yeah, like I said, Wembenyama piece Wednesday on Thursday night during the draft, I'll be doing live draft grades, which I do every year. That's another real, uh, you know, black light to the truth. Yeah. I say, oh, I always loved Jordan Poole. And then I'll like Google the link from 2019 draft <laughs> oh, grades. No. But I give Jordan Poole, oh, I give him a C plus. Damn. <laughs> so uh, I'll be doing that too. And you can call me out and tell me why I don't know anything. And uh, your team deserves an A plus regardless of who they selected. So busy week for me, but I feel so lucky to do it. And it's so much fun to cover always loved the draft since i was a little kid so uh i'm looking forward to it all right man well thank you very much for hopping on with me looking forward to your draft coverage get some sleep and and uh, i'll talk to you soon sounds good see ya